we are in a series called Loveology. Um, I am in my 40s, and uh, I am not as athletic as I used to be, which is why I've taken up golf. And so uh, w- the, the problem with golf is I-, I played a lot of softball, played some baseball growing up, and when you swing a baseball bat, it's different than swinging a golf club. And so uh, I had to unlearn how to swing a baseball bat before I could actually swing a golf club, um, at least semi-decently. And uh, I, I think today, as we continue this series, I, I say that to say this, a lot of times what we learn is hard to learn because of what we have to unlearn. We have to unlearn things before we learn them the correct way. And uh, for me, it started, I would say, about uh, eighth grade. And um, in eighth grade, um, I, I, I was just starting to get good at sports and uh, I joined our, our varsity basketball team and uh, no longer, because I was homeschooled before this, I, I would just sit there and practice my shots over and over and over again, started to get a little bit better at basketball, got on the team and then in eighth grade made the varsity team and by halfway through the season I was leading the team in points and assists and uh, uh, I thought, man, that be pretty good at basketball. And as my popularity started to grow, and I don't know if girls were actually looking at me, but I felt like they might even be like looking my way. And so uh, eighth grade, I'm starting to go, man, life is good. And it was, it was good. It was, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Uh, in the basketball locker room, one day, a pornography magazine was passed around from guy to guy to guy and everybody in that locker room looked at this pornographic magazine. And what I saw that day was beautiful, but it wasn't for me to see. And of course, uh, anytime you get a group of guys together and, and there's trouble amok, you always have the one guy that goes to his parents and tattles. And so this one guy, uh, he went and he told, I don't know if his parents or told the school administration, and my dad worked at this school as a teacher, but he also was a pastor. And uh, I got called into my dad's office, which was in our house. And I walked down, I had no idea I was about to get in trouble. He sits me down and he says, hey, what did you do wrong? And my mind went, a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know which one you're talking about. And so after about the fifth one, he finally had to remind me, no, no, those are not the things I'm talking about. And then he proceeded to tell me of what had happened earlier that week. And he was kind. He was nice. And, and he had very good intentions. But I walked out of that meeting with my father with this thought in my mind, sex is bad. It will ruin your life. It's wrong. I walked out thinking that a woman's body was something that should never be looked at. And the feelings that I had were inappropriate feelings altogether. So I went through life with that foundation on sex. I think for many of us in here, depending upon your background, whether you grew up in church or not in church, you may have had a similar experience 
Maybe for you today, your experience was much like my father's because he grew up for 25 years with no Jesus in his life, no church background at all, and had lived an upside-down lifestyle. And so in his mind, he was trying to protect me from the dangers that are very, very real. Today, I think we may need to unlearn some things before we learn some things about a thing that was given to mankind from the very beginning as a beautiful gift. A beautiful gift. But most of the time, and it's interesting, it, it, it could translate not just from sex, it could translate to other things. We, as parents, if you're a parent in here, we start with a lot of don'ts first, don't we? Yeah. Don't run out in the middle of the street. Don't touch the stovetop. Don't, don't. And why do we do that? Because of the fear of our child hurting themselves. It starts with fear. But the beginning of creation didn't start with fear. It started with pleasure. It started with it was good. It was good. Um, there was a big don't in Genesis. And uh, if you've been with us through this series, we've been honing in a lot on Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, talking about the word love, talking about marriage. Last week, we, we learned not the definition of marriage, but what is marriage for? And that's how we define marriage, by finding out what it's for. Let's look at the very first don't in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 17. And for this series, I've been mostly using uh, the NIV. We also use the NLT here. Um, so if you have that translation, you can follow along. It'll be almost the same. But uh, for unity's sake, if you look up at the screen, it says this. Uh, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. A lot of us get our theology or our understanding of who God is from don'ts. The Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't do this. Don't do that. Here is the very first don't. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Pretty stern warning, right? Almost like a pretty stern warning for eating a piece of fruit that we find out later must have been somewhat enticing. The problem with starting with this verse is there's a conjunction in the beginning of the verse. It starts with, but you must not eat. This wasn't actually the very first command that was given as a don't. The command that's given here actually starts with a do. Let's look at the previous verse, verse 16, and look at it all together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God commands them. So he's talking to Adam and Eve, and he's just created this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden that we can't even imagine how incredibly glorious it was. And he says, he commanded the man, you are what? Free. You are what? Free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. A lot of us have a theology or an understanding of God that he is a God of have fun, but not too much. A have fun, but don't cross the line. 
a God of, let me give you a bunch of don'ts and try not to mess up. And unfortunately, that fear that we get from an incorrect theology then translates and gets transferred to our children. And they also believe that the God you serve and the God they must serve is a God first of don'ts and then a God of do. But that's not how creation even started. There's a reason why God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because he knew that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it would ruin the pleasure they would receive from all the other trees that were in the Garden of Eden. The don't was a protection of the incredible pleasure that they were going to have in the garden. I feel and believe very strongly that there is and should be a lot of don'ts when it comes to sexuality. There are guidelines that help us that come from the Bible. Uh, I'll say this, uh, as far as premarital sex, there is statistics, and I, and I grabbed all four of these statistics from a non-Christian university. So these are not statistics that come from Barna Research, which is a Christian, universe, uh, Christian uh, research company. Uh, this is coming from a secular university. Uh, if, we, if you abstain from premarital sex, that you have significantly higher relationship satisfaction by 20%. Your communication patterns increase by 12%. Less consideration of divorce by 22%. The quality of your sex life increases by 15% in marriage. These are not Christian-made statistics. God has a lot to say, actually, on the subject. And for those of you parents who are starting to squirm a little bit, maybe because your kids are in here, we're not going to get into any detail. But the Bible is full. In fact, in fact, there's a book called The Song of Songs written by Solomon that is literally a book written on nothing but sex. I remember as a 16-year-old boy getting out my Bible once I heard that. <laughs> it's important. It was given as a gift. In fact... If we look, the very first command ever given in the Bible was to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and then gave the very first command he ever gave. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. This was a command, yes, for building the kingdom of God. This is pre-sin. So the way that the kingdom of God was going to be built was through this Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve having children, them having children and having more children. And then the subdue or rule command was for them to take care of creation. As parents with your kids, you are to be teaching them how to care for their world, how to care for their portion of the world. That's part of, part of being a parent. So God blesses them and says to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth 
and subdue it. But the thing is, is if we view God as a God of don'ts first and we focus on the don'ts, we don't understand that God is not a God in heaven who's sitting up there saying, please do not have too much fun. He's saying, I want you to have as much fun and pleasure as possible. And so I'm going to give you guidelines so you can enjoy it to the fullest. But we live in a broken world. Uh, uh, in the book of Exodus, um, how many, how many of you have ever read the book of Exodus? Kind of a cool book, right? Exodus is talking about when the Israelites were in slavery. And while they were in slavery, uh, God speaks to this man named Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh in Egypt where the Israelites are being kept in slavery and tell the king, Pharaoh, that he needs to let my people go. Now, this is a whole other sermon and story in itself because it's kind of cool. I mean, first of all, Moses at this time is wanted for murder in Egypt. And he's going to walk in with no protection, go to the most powerful man in the world at the time and say, I want you to let all your free labor go. All this work you're doing, not going to happen. Let everybody go. What are you going to do about it? Absolutely nothing. Just do it. So Moses walks in. Of course, if you know the story, then starts the 10 plagues. Moses says, if you don't do it, plagues are going to happen. Plague happens. Two, three, four, five. Gets all the way down to plague number 10, and Pharaoh loses his firstborn son in that plague, along with all of the other Egyptians. So Pharaoh says, I think, I think, I'm, going to let, I think I'm going to let the Israelites go. And as he lets them go, he gives them a bunch of gold. So not only do they get to walk out free, a bunch of gold was given to the Israelites for them to survive. So they start walking out and you know the story, they get to the Red Sea, God miraculously splits the Red Sea, they walk through it. As they walk through it, the Egyptian army charges after them because Pharaoh changes his mind. Waters come down on the Egyptian army. Israelites are free for the first time in forever, for generations for hundreds of years, they have been in slavery, and now they are, have the thing they desired the most, freedom. And not just freedom, God blessed them on the way out, and now they have all this gold. And then because of their freedom, God meets with Moses on the top of a mountain and gives him the famous Ten Commandments. And while... Moses is on the top of this mountain getting the Ten Commandments that will now protect their freedom. When he comes down, the gold that had been given to them was now in the shape of an idol, a golden calf. The people of Israel have lost their morals. They're now dancing around this golden calf, worshiping something other than God actually worshiping something that God had given them as a gift. <laughs> My favorite part is when Moses confronts his brother Aaron, who was in charge at the time, and says, what in the world is happening? He goes, I don't know. They gave me all this gold. I took it. I threw it in a furnace, and this golden calf just came out. <laughs> gold is not bad. Idolatry is bad. Sex is not bad. Idolatry is bad. And in this world, can we all agree that sex is idolized? 
The problem is, it's not that sex is the thing that's wrong. Sex was given as a gift to mankind to enjoy. It became an idol, and now through the idolatry of sex, idolatry is wrong. Let's look at what Paul warned the church. He said in the book of Romans, in futuristic kind of prophecy of this is what's going to happen if we keep going this way. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. By the way, that word comes from pornea, the the Greek word pornea, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25 explains how it happened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So they took the truth of God, exchanged it for a lie, and worshiped and served what? Created things. These are things that God made. They're not bad things. The things that God makes are not bad. Idolatry is what's bad. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So what can happen is when we worship the idolatriness of sex and make that above worshiping the creator and author of sex, that is what sin is. In other words, when sex becomes God, men and women in here, you have to look at pornography because it's your God. You have to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Why? Because it's become God. You have to give in because it becomes the idol. And while we're all quiet in here, I won't ask anyone to raise their hands, but at one point in our life, we have made sex an idol in our life. We have made things that God created more important than God himself. But when we worship God who created sex and gave it to us as a gift, we actually experience freedom. We experience pleasure, purity, fruitfulness, family. And, and by the way, best of all, intimacy. One of the destruction, destructive natures of making sex an idol is what it does is it ruins intimacy. Intimacy is something that has to be built over time. And for those of you that have been married for a long time, uh, uh, the, the older I get and the more years that I'm married, the more I realize that I would never want to trade the intimacy I share with my wife with anybody else. Denise has always uh, joked with me. She's like, if, you were to, if I were to pass away, you would get married right away. I know it. And after the first year of marriage, I was like, absolutely not. Man, it would be kind of tough. Now, as I get older, I understand why the older man, when his wife passes away, just never gets married again. That doesn't mean that getting married again is, is wrong at all. My point is, As I'm married, I go, man, that intimacy that is shared, that's something that could never be replaced. It's 15 years of it. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage should be honored by all and marriage and the marriage bed kept pure. 
Um, I could illustrate it this way. Uh, if Denise, and I'm not, I'm not giving a subtle hint, but maybe a little bit of a subtle hint. If Denise were to get me brand new golf drivers for my birthday. <laughs> I don't know. Just a total hypothetical. I know some people in our church that sell golf drivers and probably get a deal. (laughs) And after she gives me these new, brand new golf drivers, I go to Gray Eagle across the street and use that driver. Is that wrong? No. Men, you with me? (laughs) But if I start skipping dinner with the family to go golfing, I start skipping work because of my new golf driver. And I start dating my golf driver. (laughs) What ends up happening? I've now fell in love more with the gift than the giver of the gift. And parents, first of all, I'll tell you that if you can let your children and students know that one day what they can enjoy is incredible, but teach them that their love for God comes first. You'll teach them the balance of being able to handle a golf driver and a wife at the same time. Or the gift of sex and the love of God at the same time. I was inadvertently taught at a young age that you can't think of the love of God and sex at the same time because in my mind, the idolatry of sex could not marry with a holy God. But if sex was given to us by God, then sex is holy. But Satan will do anything in his power to make what God gave as holy for us to view as unholy. Just watch the Grammys. I think the best way I can illustrate that, Cody, can you help me bring this over? Best way I can illustrate this, and I didn't make up this illustration, I saw this somewhere, is with a fireplace. I'm gonna let you handle that, young, young blood, strong guy. <laughs> and, and parents, I hope I'm gonna help you with this. Anyone that's in here, in just a moment, I'm gonna end very practically. Okay, we're not going to blow anything up. Do you hear that beep? (laughs) All all the pyromaniacs are like, all right. It's not real fire. Fire is not wrong. Fire creates warmth, creates coziness. It's something to be admired. In fact, if something is on fire, what will people do? Come watch, right? You're going to have a bonfire, Ooh, let's go. I remember when I was uh, uh, finishing up school as a married student, uh, the Happy Dragon Chinese restaurant went up in flames in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and everybody from Hot Springs went to Central Avenue and watched the place burn. No one there was going like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for those owners. (laughs) Everyone was like, wow, that flame's really big. It's a beautiful thing. Fire is beautiful. It's incredible. It's awe-inspiring. It's also destructive. 
also can hurt you. It's a powerful thing. Here's the thing. Things that have a lot of power, and, 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 and I know the world has tried its best to make sex sound like it's not powerful, and in doing so, they just make it look more powerful. The sitcom Friends tried to make casual sex casual, and all they did was prove that sex is not casual. There's nothing casual about it. Even when Joey would have casual sex, those girls that were after him stayed after him because it's powerful. Sex inside the confines of what God created it for, marriage, does nothing but warm comfort and is powerfully useful. What happens is sometimes we light the fire outside the fireplace. I have a fireplace in my living room and if I were to take out the lighter and go to the middle of the living room and set a fire right on the carpet, it would keep me warm for a little bit. And then it would leave a mark. Because it's destructive outside the confines of marriage. And here's the thing, I'm talking to a lot of people in here that right now your first instinct is to bow your head in shame and go, oh man, I've done that. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus redeems anything. And there is nothing that you can do to try to destroy your life that Jesus can't redeem. And the carpet that he puts in after we've burnt the carpet and burnt the couch, the furniture he brings into our house and that he redeems is a whole lot better than the old furniture and the old carpet. So no one in here needs to hang their head in shame. No one in here needs to go, oh man, I've messed up. Now I don't belong in church. Man, we serve a God who's in the business of redemption. He's in the business of taking things that are broken, things that are burnt, things that are in trouble, things that are a wreck, and making something incredibly beautiful out of them. But you have to stop lighting the fire on the carpet. <laughs> because it hurts when it happens, and the memory will always be there. God can redeem all those things, but... That doesn't even look like real fire, does it? Here, I'm just going to shut it off. When we use things the way God intended, what an incredible warmth and light it can be. Parents, don't avoid talking about gifts of God because it's hard to do. Parents, try your best to start with it being a gift. Then don't do it. It will ruin your life. So when you get married, ruin your life. <laughs> I remember that being confusing. What in the world? I hope my dad's not watching this because I don't want to make fun. 
I was 25 years old when my dad walked up to me the night before my wedding and went, hey, and I went, got it. <laughs> I got it. No need to explain. Bless his heart. Gifts are awesome. Idolatry is sin. So parents, be careful what you idolize in your home too. Be careful of what you let your kids watch. Be careful what goes into their mind and into their heart because the danger is if they believe that God is against it, but yet it's in their DNA to desire it and to be curious about it. And then we hide this gift from them instead of saying, this is something you will enjoy one day. And can I tell you, it is incredible, but it's gotta be in the fireplace. Otherwise, you can hurt yourself. You can hurt others. It can spend a while picking up the pieces afterwards. I'm going to end with uh, a couple of instructions. Okay, you ready? If you're a student in here, I would say get to student night. Um, Cody, our student director, has been doing an incredible job at walking through love and talking about some of these subjects, again, in an appropriate manner. Um, and, and I would say, hey, the church... Can, can I just say this? And can, can we get an applause? Maybe, not yet. An applause for the church leading in this front. We need to talk about things in church. If there's, not a for, if there's a forum to talk about it, here's the forum. This is what we need to do. We don't need to be afraid of what God's given us. We don't need to be afraid to talk about the hard subjects. We don't need to be afraid to talk about the elephants in the room. We did a series. If you haven't watched it, if you're new to our church, go online and watch our series on elephants. We don't want to be scared. We want to talk about everything in love and in grace, but we don't need to be afraid to talk about the things that God put in his word. It's important. Um, if you're a student, go to student night. It's on Wednesday, 630 and I would say this, you ready? About to make some parents uncomfortable. Talk to your parents even if they don't want to. Go say, what in the world was Pastor Matt talking about? Tell me right now, okay? And if you need help, mom and dad, come talk to Denise. She'll tell you. <laughs> if you're single in here, man, I was 25 years old before I experienced sex for the first time. It was a long time to wait, a quarter of a century, it's hard, I know, I get it. Pray for the right partner and pray that God would help you. The spirit of God is powerful. God wants you to experience sex in the right way so he'll give you the ability to wait. He will if you'll ask for it. Um, if you're single, um, I'll say this. Have the sexual integrity for the, and desire for the partner that you want to have. So if you want a partner that has sexual integrity, have sexual integrity and God will meet you up with a partner that has that same integrity. And they may be someone that has had sex in the past because God can redeem that because there's grace. So you don't have to find someone that's never had sex before, okay? It's about finding a partner that has the same commitment you do at that time. And if you're married, uh, can I just say this? Don't use sex as currency, Please do not use sex as currency. Wives, don't use sex as currency. Husbands, don't use it as currency. Don't use it as manipulation. Don't use it as guilt. It's to be enjoyed as a gift from God. 
um, which will produce more intimacy in your marriage. And I promise you, you will like having more intimacy in your marriage. That's what marriage is for. Um, And then talk about sex positively. If you have children, um, talk positively about it. Um, Let them know that there's a purpose in it greater than just pleasure, although pleasure is a part of it. And then if you're going, I don't know how to do any of that, I have two books for you, um, Parents, uh, no teenagers, don't pull out your phone and, and try to download this yourself, okay? I want parents to have the ability to, in their timing, be able to do this. But uh, I have a QR code. This is seven lessons to introduce your child to biblical sexuality. We took our daughter, Jocelyn, through this at a young age. So this would be grade school uh, level. And it's an incredible book, incredible, incredible. And it'll help you as a parent walk through that and when is the appropriate time? I think, because parents, we all care about our children, right? And so there's that, when do we, what is the right time? Can I just say this? The first time I saw pornography was in Christian school in seventh grade, okay? Today's day and age, it's a whole lot different. And I wish I could promise you that your child is never gonna be exposed to this kind of thing, but I would say, beat them to the punch, Talk about it the right way before anything happens the wrong way. We live in a broken world. Things happen. You're not going to be able to put your kid in, a, in a, this incredible bubble where they'll never be hurt ever or ever see anything that they're, they're not supposed to see. Uh, right now, I think the statistic is fourth grade is the average of when a child is exposed to pornography. Fourth grade. Do not wait to have the talk. Expose them to right before they see the bad. And then uh, if you have a teenager, uh, and by the way, after the, when we dismiss here in literally two seconds, um, they'll have this, this will be rolling. So if you are like, oh, I didn't want to pull out my phone and be like, yeah, I'm that parent. I don't know how to have the talk. You know, Uh, go ahead and put up the next slide. Uh, Andy Stanley's The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating cannot recommend this book more cannot recommend this book more. And because there's parents right now, they're like, yeah, all right, I got teenagers, I'm in. Okay, unbelievable book. Um, I would read it before I would give it to your student, but I would have your student read through this book. Um, it, it is an incredible book. Uh, that's, that, by the way, I love how it says the new rules. The, he basically says the new rules are the old rules for uh, love, sex, and dating, but um, this is an incredible book, an incredible uh, resource for you to have. Those will be rolling after we dismiss. Would you stand with me? And we're gonna pray and dismiss out of here. We've got one more week next week of Loveology. Um, Thank you for having the talk with me today. (laughs) Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this gift you've given us. Would we protect it? Um, uh, Father, uh, through your spirit, I just feel right now a, a moment that we need to live in, uh, that you are not a God of shame. If there's anyone in here this morning that is feeling shame, it is not from God. It is from Satan himself. He whispers the accusations. Jesus whispers hope. Jesus gives hope. He redeems everything. So, Father, if there's anyone in here right now that feels broken, that feels shame, Father, would they leave here feeling encouraged? Would they leave here feeling that there is a path and that there's a church that doesn't cast that? 
that is a family, that everyone is welcome at the table. And then, Father, would you help us as parents? Would we be able to deliver this as uh, the gift that you designed it to be? In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a hand for what he is doing in our church? We'll see you back here next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. If you are attending the marriage seminar, it starts back up at 1 p.m. today, 1 p.m.